Hey, a little longer intro this time, but um, welcome back, and uh, I'm glad that you're here to share this time again, this podcast, This Thing Called School, um, with me, I'm your host, I'm Dr. Jennifer Chapman, and uh, I created this podcast as a space to have conversations about um, creating uh, and sharing, actually, best practices. We are in episode five. Can you believe it? (laughs) Um, So yeah, this week um, we'll be speaking with someone to give us a little bit of a history of uh, schooling in these here United States for anybody that read the Reader's Digest or still does. Um, I find it interesting uh, because I wanted to share on this episode a check-in just with me. Uh, If you've been listening, you know that each week I check in with the young people in my house who are my son and my niece. And um, in listening back and prepping for the the episode, I realized that I wasn't uh, sharing too much of the checking in with me, which I tend to do as as a mom and and as an educator and as a human that I spend a lot of time um, checking in with other folks. And not with myself. And I think it's um, critically important that we exercise self-care and be that stepping away from the young people while they're watching a movie, (laughs) which is what's happening right now, if you can hear the color purple in the background. And, uh, you know, if it's that glass of wine for you, if if it's the bath, if it's you know, whatever it is that allows you some time to escape and um, just think about how you're feeling mentally, emotionally, physically, all of that. And uh, I think for me, after about six weeks of Safer at Home, it's finally kind of starting to wear on me. Um, I'm starting to worry I would say, or think a lot about where does this end? Uh, Worrying about friends and family. My mother, who is across the country, you know, just every night going to sleep, sending out positive vibrations, like, please let her stay well, because I, I would hate to have something happen to her in this moment. And we're not able to get with, get to her and share, um, in, in that experience with her helping her get well or whatever, whichever way it went. So I just wanted to uh, offer that it's not easy what's going on. Um, this is crazy <laughs> what's going on. And it's okay for you to say that. It's okay for you to be mad, uh, angry, frustrated, scared, worried, um, cry, laugh, sleep a lot. Just whatever it takes for you to feel okay. So, and I'm trying to do that daily. So with that being said, um, this episode, episode five, is an episode where I interviewed my mother. My mother, who is now retired, but was the first person in her family to ever attend college. She grew up in Newport News, Virginia, 
and was fortunate enough to receive a full scholarship to Spelman College from the United Negro College Fund. (laughs) And um, we talked my whole life, right, my entire life about her experiences growing up in the Jim Crow South because that's what it was and her experiences in education and, um, you know, what drove her to do what was not the norm around her, you know? And uh, we've had such rich conversations that have had such a, a powerful impact on the choices that I've made in my life that I wanted to share that with everyone. So um, here we go. So, hey. <laughs> hey, how are you? Hey, you you giving me the fake the fake work voice. <laughs> so I say, so, so first I want to say uh, it's the fake work voice because as I, as I just introduced the interview, this is my mother. Um, and I wanted to speak with her uh, to get, a, to get an historical perspective of schooling uh, or this thing called school in, in the United States. So um, mom, as I know you, if you could just, you know, briefly introduce yourself to the people. Well, I'm a retired banker. I have been retired for 14 years. I worked 25 years for City, then a couple of other banks in the New York, New Jersey area, and moved to Virginia. So now I am involved in the community activities in and around my little town in Cape Charles, Virginia, right. Right. which is on the eastern shore of Virginia. And disconnected from the world, except for a bridge and tunnel system that's about 26 miles long. Also known as the Chesapeake Bay Bridge and Tunnel, for those of you that are familiar with that beautiful part of the country. Um, so obviously, in, in your um, very succinct bio that you just provided, <laughs> none of that had anything to do with public education. But what is of importance is that you did grow up in Virginia, right? And you grew up going to school in the segregated South, right? I did. Uh, But, you know, as a kid, we never thought about or talked about segregation because it was not something that our parents talked about. We had no idea we were as poor as we were. Right. we were all the same poor, except we, I think we did have classes. You, we you were all the poor. same poor? <laughs> right. No, we, we weren't. We had poor, very poor, and very, very poor. Okay. Can, what, but, what, I mean, what did that look like? And where did you fall? Where did, where, did, where, did, where did the family fall? Well, you know, even though we were poor, we were like the first person on our block to get uh, a telephone, mm-hmm. which at that time, you had party lines. Ah, uh, yes. So and, and, what, what was a party line? Because everybody hasn't had the benefit of all these conversations that um, I have been. So uh, if you just heard somebody yell done, that was my seven-year-old <laughs> yelling downstairs <laughs> that he was done with his Spanish work. Okay, boy and intro, Miko. Okay. All right, thank you. Gracias. Gracias. All right, so mother. 
you you said that you guys were poor, but you had a telephone. But I want to just I want to unpack that a little bit more. Poor meant um, I mean, because Grandpa worked, right? Yeah, I mean, my father worked, and for the most, my mother worked on and off. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, based on raising children when, as and if they came. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we, it was, we really never talked about money or we never felt like we, of course, there were things that you wanted. Right. Uh, but we never had any needs that were not fulfilled. Right. Right. And there was always mother, food. Grandma was a master we're going to call her a master chef. And yes, yes. she she was like the master tailor also because she made y'all's clothes, yes. right? Yes, okay. Yes. Uh, I mean, who knew? It, right. it was just, it was years, years and years later. I mean, we lived in a place called Newsom Park. We never referred to it as a project. Right. But it was a project. We didn't even think of it. We didn't know it was a project. Nobody ever said it was a project, unlike all the other projects around us, mm -hmm. um, you know, where people knew, were, knew they were projects and called them the projects. Right. But not Newsom Park. So we did we you. Had to, oh, go ahead. I, no, I was going to ask, like, I don't think I've ever asked. Did you have any friends that lived in single family homes? Like, were there any Black people that you knew that you were like, they're not poor? Well, actually, my mother's sister on Ida, mm -hmm. her husband was a, uh, what I would call a professional painter. Okay. And he made enough money over time to have a house built, a two-bedroom house. Was that that house that we used to go to? Uh, in Newsom Park. Uh, oh, oh, not the one on 26th Street. Oh, no, 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 no. This oh, okay. was uh, on 41st Street, okay. headed towards Jefferson Avenue. Okay. Uh, so, and that's where Lois and Ida and Uncle, Uncle Walter lived. Gotcha. And there was a, a girl in my class whose father was a cabinet maker. Mm. He had seven or eight children. Oosh. And he lived in Newsom Park, but he was able to build a brick house. Wow. That was a big and, thing. That was a big thing. And he sent every one of his children to college. Wow. And okay. everybody in Newsom Park and every black person in the town, in Newport News, where we live, mm -hmm. used the same dentist. We had one <laughs> dentist. <laughs> and all these years later, I find out that this dentist had a summer home over here where I live now. Stop it, in Cape Charles. Well, actually, it was further up the road but it was in the black part, you know. Okay, yeah. Because Cape Charles... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Up the road, but still in Virginia? Because y'all be like, up the road, and it's Delaware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, up the road, still in Virginia. Uh, and, you know, I, I know people that he's, his, he, his children know now. These are friends of mine. That's awesome. I didn't know yeah, that. It, you it, never it, mentioned that. Oh, actually, and, and Vincent's mother... Uh-huh. Uh, actually owned a piece of land in the same place where he had his summer home. Right. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So wait, I want to go back to school. So what is, okay, so here you are in Newsom Park. Um, to use your words, everyone is the same poor. <laughs> really? You never, uh, you never talked about money, but at some point it was time to go to school, right? Yes. And yes. so you are second of four children. Um, do you have an early memory of your older sister, Aunt Dean, going to school before you? 
I do not remember her, but I remember in the first grade, mm -hmm. my mother walked me to school, showed me how to cross the street. I had to cross two residential streets in the projects, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> Inside <laughs> the complex. <laughs> right. And, and, um, and I walked myself to school. I went to school a half day. And it was first grade, not kindergarten. First grade, no kindergarten back then. Right, kindergarten was at home with mom. That's right. Okay. They had daycare places where people who could afford it, you know, right. had their children babysat for the day. Right. Uh, but I remember the first, second, third, fourth grade, and and we were in that school for uh, sixth grades, and then we took a bus mm -hmm. uh, up the road. Well, in North Newport News, mm -hmm. where there was, uh, we went to elementary school for one year. Mm -hmm. That was the uh, seventh grade. Okay. And then we went to high school because our high school ran from the eighth to the 12th grade. So you had, uh, oh, it went from eight to 12. Was it all in the same building? Yes. Or eight to 12. Ooh, right. That's a lot. Um, let me ask you this. In those first six grades, first six, uh, you know, years of schooling, um, yes. I mean, do you have any memories of like, I mean, first of all, I, I take it everybody was black. Absolutely. Everybody. Every single person. Every single person. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so did you ever, like, was there ever, like, the random white family that lived in the neighborhood? Or it's just, it's 100% black all the time. Well, listen, the only white person who was ever in our neighborhood was the bus driver oh. who drove the bus through the black area. Right, right, right. He must have gotten the short stick. <laughs> <laughs> it cost, how much did it cost? It was 10 cents to take the bus up to Jefferson Avenue to go mm -hmm. to, we had three black movies in New, Newport News. Right. Um, and we sat upstairs and downstairs. We, we were not relegated to the balcony. Right, 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 because it was y'all. It was two for a quarter. My mother would give us 50 cents. And to go to the movie. That was nice. And we got in. She gave us bus fare, too. We got mm -hmm. in the movie, and we had money to buy popcorn and a soda. Nice. And we had we stayed for four or five hours because of we course. had two-hour movies. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point, okay, so you did this, the, the, the first six grades, or the first five, because one to six, in, in what would commonly, not commonly, but, but would we, uh, what would be known as like a neighborhood school? now right yeah it was within walking distance right okay and so you know most of us don't have very vivid memories of that first interaction with school but then you spend one year seventh grade and then you go to high school right right now right. and that was carver high school right over on jefferson yeah okay now at any point or not at any point at what point do you remember that like acknowledging or being aware that of, of, of two things. The first, um, of that there being more to education than what you were being exposed. So let's start with that. At what point did you become aware of, wait, there's more than what I'm being exposed to? It, we lived in a, ver I, I, it's, it was a, a ghetto, not the negative connotation, but the terminology that was used for those areas that Jews were required to live in, in mm -hmm. Europe. Right. It was all black. Right. And we, we were not touched by the outside world. We were not 
like in a prison, no, but no, no. we knew where we could go and where we could not go. Right. And, and in those days, it, it was called separate but equal. Right. So we had a recreation center for Blacks with a swimming pool, baseball field, tennis. I mean, this was elite for Blacks right. in the South. Right. Um, and then, we, of course, we had our own churches. We had our own doctors. We had our own hospital. Um, and it was not, it wasn't, there were not a, a, a great number of Black hospitals Right. But, um, and I mean, that's where you had to go. Otherwise you didn't get any service. Although right. I was born in a white hospital, but uh, you don't know about these things until after you have experienced them. Right. My dream when I was in high school, as far as a car, right. uh, I wanted a Thunderbird because <laughs> one of the teachers drove a Thunderbird. Right. And then I get out of college out of high school and I go to college and, and then I, that's when I found out there mm-hmm. was a bigger world. There right. was more to it. So that, let, I want to put a pin okay. in that because we're going to okay. get to college. But if we go back to, to Carver High School in Newport News, yes. <laughs> Virginia, <laughs> like, did you ever feel, you know, cause I, I want to reference this book that actually your brother, uncle Tony gave me um, uh-huh. called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Uh-huh. And, you know, just in a very short form, it's about a seagull that doesn't want to fly with the flock, right? Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. He, and he he bucks the system because he's like, wait, why don't we ever fly that way? And other <laughs> seagulls are like, that's just not what we do. So it's, it's you know, did you ever feel like, well, and, and, and I get it. You guys didn't have those conversations about money. You're, you're talking about Jim Crow South and... Um, alarm. <laughs> That was, that was my landlord, sorry. <laughs> but uh, Jim Crow South, um, and you just, it, there was a, essentially what it sounds like, it was just an acceptance of this is what it is, right? What? There was no sense that we were, we, we ever felt at risk or concern for our safety. Never. No, we just, mom and dad never actually said, you can't go there, but they never took us there. So right. if they didn't take us there, we didn't go there. So what about in high school? Like, what did you, what did you, like, what, what was in the history books? You know, what was English? Like, what did, did y'all, did y'all read about the dominant culture <laughs> or did you read about black folks? No, we didn't read anything about black folks. There was no history. The history didn't include, uh, and the, the library really had no books to speak of. Right. And, and when I was growing up, I don't know how my mother and father got this money. They bought the Encyclopedia Britannica oh. because we had no research information. And we, while we were within walking distance of the Newport News Public Library, we were mm-hmm. not allowed to go there. Wow. So, um, but we never, we never knew we were supposed to be suffering. In high school, we had a club. I want to, but I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to pause and want to go back to what you said. You were within walking distance of the Newport yeah. News Library, and you just, you, you weren't allowed to go. Like I, I, I want that to, I want that to sink in. Yeah, yeah. Like you literally could not go to the library because of the color of your skin. That is very true. And 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 watching the the movie, the hidden figures. Oh yes, there was that one scene 
where the um what's her name? Catherine? The, no. no, not Catherine, the one who's head of the department. Oh, 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 oh. I played by Octavia Butler. Right, right. <laughs> she, she went to, I said, this, that can't be true. She went into the library, the Hampton, because they were in Hampton. Oh. And she went into the Hampton library and she took a book out. She actually stole the book. Not yes. The, well, she, she, she borrowed it. She and, borrowed um, it, indefinitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, first of all, I could, I could not imagine that they had an opportunity to go into the library at that time when that uh, took place. Right. And she had her two kids in there with her. So that, that was unreal. Yeah. I do remember that those scenes it was, uh, they, they took some dramatic license apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So here you're in school and you know, we have lots of family jokes, um, you know, now, <laughs> and even when uh, grandpa was alive <laughs> that, you know, you were so busy reading your whole childhood. Um, yeah. That you didn't pick up any of grandma's culinary skills. <laughs> But <laughs> I did not. <laughs> but what what was that drive? What was that love? What what was you that? Know, that's that's that is interesting because I joke and and play with you guys all the time, right? Tell, telling you that I'm special. Yes, and <laughs> I am special. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know what it was, but I was. We had no books, but my mother bought me the this fable this this book of fables Aesop. yeah yeah mm -hmm. i read the thing from front to back i would read the encyclopedia i read a lot of funny books i read the newspaper right i i had this this thing to learn right uh, and i it had to have been natural or inherited <laughs> right but um because it wasn't it wasn't the environment it's not like it you were coming not. home and people were like go go sit down and read for an hour they did not. And they but were not know, tucking you in at night reading bedtime stories because people are tired. No, no. <laughs> that, that is not true. But um, it was a way for me. It, I got an opportunity to go places. They were fictitious in most cases. Right. But it was, it was a, a different, it was an adventure for me. But I have always loved reading. Yes, you, and you still do. So we're in high school. Yeah. So surrounded by everything black. <laughs> well, well, here, here's another point that I wanted to make. Like we didn't know we were poor, poor. Right. We created a club in high school and we decided we wanted like a club uniform and we decided we would wear a white blazer mm -hmm. with a, no, a red blazer with a white skirt. And we had an emblem that we sewed on it and we would wear these little these slip on red shoes. Okay. Which were thing back then looking like and, deltas <laughs> yeah imagine that you know and and um we were i don't know how we were able to buy those blazers mm -hmm. we weren't working our right. parents didn't have extra money to buy blazers but they made it happen right right they made it happen and so we just never thought we were poor and right. we looked. We looked at what was happening in Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama. Mm -hmm. It it was never like that in in Newport News. Mm -hmm. One summer, um, I went to a National Science Foundation uh, a course during the summer at. Oh Bennett yeah, College. talk about that. And um, 
I got on a bus. Uh, my mother and father put me on a bus to go from Newport News to Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the bus stopped, I think, like in Rappahannock. I had never mm-hmm. even heard of Rappahannock. Virginia. They stopped in Rappahannock on the neck? Maybe I'm wrong. You know what? Yeah, I was like, that's the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) That's the wrong direction. I don't remember the name of that town. Okay. I said, said, let me get off this bus and go to the bathroom. I'm like 15 years old. Right. And so I get off the bus. I walk into the bus terminal and I saw this big sign on two different water fountains. One said white for whites and the other said for colored. I had never seen anything like that or even talked about anything like that before. So what did you, what did, like, it can you remember? Yeah. Essless. Right. I turned around and got back on the bus. Right. And uh, made a, made a personal note to not get off on the way home. <laughs> Go to the bathroom before you leave. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, but that was, and I mean, and when I got ready to go to Spelman College. Well, I before was, we get there, because. I was going to say, I was fearful of going. I can understand that, but I want to know how did you even get to the decision to to apply and decide to go? You know, with, to, with to no spell. direction or guidance. Or yeah, anything. like I mean, did you have a guidance counselor that you met with all four years of high school talking to you about college plans? Never. So how did how did little you were Clementine? How did little Clementine, who loved to read, decide? Or even have that thought, like, I'm going to go to college. Ain't nobody else in, because we haven't said that part. No one else, no one else has been. Well, my brother did go. Tony went. He's younger than you. Oh, no, you mean before me. Yeah, 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 you were the first one. (laughs) But but listen, my my sister, who's two years older, had an opportunity to go to a business school in Washington, D.C. Right but chicken out at the last minute because she was afraid. Yeah, but she was also, a, we, she was a mother. No, no, this was, be, yeah, but that didn't have anything to do with it. She didn't, she knew nothing about being on her own. Right. We lived in a very, shel- you would think we were rich. <laughs> we lived in a very <laughs> sheltered environment. You were rich with culture and love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but this is something that I find very interesting and we can go back to where you want. Mm-hmm. But in my household, while we knew and understood that our parents loved us, right. they never once said to us, I love you. Mm. Never. Never. Wow. That's deep, Mom. Did you hear other, I, other parents say that to their children? No. Oh, God. It was understood, I think. Oh, but that's so deep. I mean, because... Life was just so hard, you know, because even though you all knew, like they were, I, I imagine now as an, as an adult, as a mother, as an educator, that they were bearing the brunt of the world so you yeah. all could, could feel as though you were in that bubble. Oh, my God, it's, that's so much. I, actually, you know, what my father worked every day of the week he got yeah. up and he, he didn't have a car he walked to work oh and he worked for cno railroad yes <laughs> and my mother got up every morning fixed his breakfast a fresh breakfast every morning yes indeed <laughs> made, made biscuits and made him a lunch right 
and he came back at home back home about three mm -hmm. and of course he didn't we had dinner and he went to bed and he got up and he did that for four more days every day of the week jesus and then on the weekend he and cousin harold got together yeah <laughs> and we know how that went <laughs> <laughs> they relieved the stress of the work week together very yeah, well. They did. They did. And and I understand that now. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, you know, in that world, how did little Clementine decide, oh, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to college? Well, you know, one of the things that they did do um in in the high schools, the black mm -hmm. high schools, was to um they did their best to teach you as much as they could. Right. And and they 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 focused you on the SAT and the um set of the test. ACT? Yeah, yeah, okay. those two tests. They had so that then? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> black folks black kids didn't do very well numerically on the SATs. Uh disclaimer, they still don't. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on on the other test, you know, we did very, very much better. Right. And so um, you, when you took those tests, I, don't, I'm, I assume they did it when you took it also, you had to, we had to specify schools that we were interested in yes. uh, accepting scholarships from. And, and just, and receiving your scores. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I didn't know about anything about the schools that I put down. I Do you remember Bennett what else College. you put down? Okay, you put down Bennett. Well, no, I know I knew Bennett because oh. I went to Bennett for a summer school. Right. And and I decided I was not going back because <laughs> I'm not even in the college and they got us going to church on Sunday with oh. gloves and hats and pocketbooks. Mm -hmm. And I I I, I, I know at home. I, <laughs> so, I, 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 I feel your pain. Go ahead. So, uh, <laughs> I had heard of. Everybody had heard of Tuskegee. Mm -hmm. um, I think I might have put down uh, Virginia State, maybe AT&T, Spelman. And when you say but, heard of, it was because of conversations at school? And Virginia State I knew about because it was in Petersburg. Okay. Um, and no one was recommending schools. Okay. Uh, but there, there were, you know, a few people that you knew whose sisters went to college and it was okay. always Virginia State. Okay. And then uh, no one even considered applying to a predominantly white school. Mm -hmm. it, it just wasn't what you did. And although, and, and we were so ignorant, we, did, we were not aware that as a black person, that if um, you, you wanted to, you could apply to a white university or college Mm -hmm. And rather than accept you, they would provide finances for you to go to school elsewhere. Oh, that's a little bit of history I didn't know. Yeah, I, I think it was done in several southern states. Okay. So, uh, but we had no idea that we were we were so underinformed. Right. But I have to say that one one thing that did work for me when I got to Spelman with all my reading and my and my writing and um well i love to write stories my mother right. said i was just putting lies down well. but um, <laughs> when i when i got to spelman you had to take a test to determine whether or not you needed to take the um reading help course yes before you could actually yeah. take a course in english mm -hmm. and i took it i was one of the few people who did not have to 
take the remedial reading course. Right, but you still, we skipped a big, a big space. So you take the test. I want to go back to the SAT. So you take the test yep. and uh, you list Spelman on there. And so then what happens? Um, I got a notification. I, I can't remember the other schools that I got. I think AT&T accepted me as well, which mm -hmm. was across the street from Bennett. Yeah. Um, I, I got a letter of acceptance from Spelman and they offered me a full tuition scholarship. Mm -hmm. uh, the scholarship was for $500 a year. No, tuition was $212.50 per semester. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Room and board was $58 a month. Wow. And, and to this day, I don't know how my mother and father paid that $58 per month. Right. Um, it's probably why she was working, trying to get me through college. And they sent me packages on a regular oh. food packages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, you had the, reg the central post office. So whenever you got a package, hey, Clementine got a package today. <laughs> <laughs> what, what food her mama sent? <laughs> she got them biscuits? <laughs> okay. And so then, so you go and... and well, you get accepted and you decide to attend Spelman College. Yes. In Atlanta, which is uh, an historically black college and university, also known as an HBCU. Right. And um, your scholarship money was through the school or through uh, the UNCF? Oh, through Spelman. Spelman actually okay. provided. Yeah. So Spelman was able to provide you with the tuition scholarship and you get to, <clears throat> excuse me, so you get to Atlanta, <laughs> Atlanta Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Lord have mercy. Yeah. Okay. Talk more about that. Lord have mercy. What you're, you're, I, 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 I did not know anything about Atlanta. Right. Uh, and so in those days, also the colleges, black colleges were your home away from home. Yes. It was like you, your mother was talking to you mm -hmm. and they treated you like they, you were their child. Yes. So uh, they were very restrictive. Right. But having that kind of environment taught you how to be creative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's talk about academics. Um, so you get there and you did say it wasn't, you, or you said earlier, it wasn't until you got to Atlanta that you knew or you were just aware that there was so much more than what you had been taught. Um, what did that look like for you? Like what kind of, what kind of light, what kind of sparks were lit for you? Well, it, it, Atlanta itself, plus the ladies who attended the college, mm -hmm. you know, they were from all over. Yeah. And they even, they had some uh, students from uh, Africa. They had white exchange students, which I was for my sophomore year, one semester, an exchange student uh, mm -hmm. to Kansas. Um, it was just that they were, depending on where they were from, the, the ladies from the Eastern Shore, Right. Northeastern, New yes. York, New yes. Jersey, Philadelphia, D.C., right. California. These ladies were like leap years <laughs> ahead, of, <laughs> ahead of these the women from uh, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so it was a, it was a nice melding group. People learned from each other and right. uh, it, it was just a good living experience you know to to uh, be around i don't think that was a problem because we all grew up in predominantly 
black neighborhoods and went to predominantly black schools, elementary right. and high schools. Right. But it was uh, it was a, an eye-opening experience. Um, and then you you met people who were from the area in Atlanta, Georgia. Very bougie, a large bougie population. What does that mean, bougie? Um, blacks who have air quotes have made it. Right. Uh, you had lots of doctors, lawyers. You know the the, the uh, jobs that the people I grew up of the mm -hmm. parents of the people I grew up with. They were people who worked in the post office. They were blue teacher. collar jobs, working working class well, and blue collar jobs mostly. Yeah, working class. Yeah. And so these these were people who had college degrees, and, right. you know, uh, and they, they they hung with themselves. Right, right. It was it was their part of the world, and they and all these blacks in Atlanta had homes, nice yes. homes. Yes, uh, <laughs> we love Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just didn't see that. Right. When I was growing up, I mean, and you asked me earlier. Uh, if I had any friends who had homes, right, uh, single family homes, and it wasn't right. that many, right, it just wasn't the nature. Why, you know, we were we were all the same poor. <laughs> so um, your major at Spelman was. Well, I thought I wanted to be in the science world. I wanted to be a chemist, so my major was chemistry, and my minor was math. Yeah, but it was more than just a chemist. I thought you wanted to be a rocket scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I really did not know what I wanted to be when uh -huh. um, I got to Spelman, but I liked chemistry and okay. biology. Okay. Until I wound up my freshman year taking chemistry, biology, and physics. I said, oh my God, what All is wrong? All at the same time? <laughs> Yeah, I had three labs. And, you know, each one of those sciences had a lab. Right. That, that only happened once. That only happened once. <laughs> you learn your lesson. You yeah. learn your lesson. Okay, so, you know, we, we matriculate through um, Spelman Spel College, yeah. where I, um, I actually had my first visit to Spelman with you when mm -hmm. I was six years old. Um, because contrary to, it, it's not contrary, but you say like in your home growing up, um, mm -hmm. it was a function like, you know, it was like day to day in the moment survival or existence mm -hmm. and not these in-depth conversations or guidance for you to further yourself. Um, yeah. but with you and my father, it was very much the expectation <laughs> um, because by the time, you know, Peter and I came around, y'all was, you know, highly educated with du <laughs> double degrees and stuff and was like, oh yeah, you going, you going to college, you going to college. And yeah. so we had that, um, first trip. It was just you and I, I remember it just you and I went to Atlanta. I don't know if it was for something Spelman related or something for Citibank related. Cause you were working for Citibank at the time. But I remember we stayed at the, um, it was the peach tree. At that time, the, the the tall cylindrical hotel downtown. Oh my um, goodness! Yeah, I remember all of that. <laughs> wow! But, um, so you matriculate through uh, Spelman and you graduate, and eventually um, you got married to this person, <laughs> also yeah. known as my father. And <laughs> then you all decide to apply 
and, and I think it was it was his um, suggestion, right? Well, actually, we were we had we had a, talked about our five year plan. Okay. And uh, we were in Atlanta, and we decided that we needed to get out of Atlanta, and we went looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. We both were interviewed by Exxon. Mm-hmm. Esso back then, though, right? Yeah, Esso back then, and mm-hmm. um, we went to Houston, Texas, for those interviews, and we were both offered jobs. And he became a one of the few black salespersons for Esso, mm-hmm. and I worked in their um, regional accounting office, um, working as a commercial programmer. Right, and um, we ran into, well, I found out one of my classmates from Spelman was living in Charlotte. Okay. With her husband who went to Morehouse. Okay. And so we hooked up with them and her husband had also attended the Wharton School. Okay. So he said to uh, Pete and I that, you know, we should consider doing that. Right. And so we said, okay. And we, okay, we just, we'll we'll just go to the top business school in the country. <laughs> sure. So we visited the campus. Okay. And your father decided, you know, well, we both decided that what we would do is he would go for to cut to uh, get his MBA first, and I would work. Right. And I would attend to get my MBA. And my brother from. Um, Ohio came to Atlanta to help us move to yes. Pennsylvania, as well as another friend. So we made the decision to leave. He started at the Wharton School, and it took me forever to find a job. And we're we're in Philadelphia now with two cars and no income. Okay. <laughs> so I finally I got a job teaching as a pre-kindergarten Head Start follow-through teacher. Right. And I said to myself, how, if I pass the test that I have to take, I have no experience. Oh, it's still that way. <laughs> <laughs> how am I going to teach these kids? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it was, a, when you, you look at how education has been done over the years, yes. it just makes you angry. I passed the test. I got the job. And, and these were, these were really, really, really poor kids. In the wintertime, they were sent to school. Kids, girls with just a pair of shoes on, no socks, right. a sweater, no right. overcoat. Right. And they came there to get educated, but they also came there to eat. Yes. Because they had breakfast and lunch there. It was such a sad place to work in. Yes. It was, and, oh, you go ahead. No, just, I was, that's how I learned my first Spanish word, Roja. Roja. Because <laughs> you, that remind, that revelation or that sharing of that, the sharing of that memory reminds me of when I first started substituting and yeah. I was living at home with you and mm-hmm. I was at a particular elementary school in Newark that Aunt okay. Gwen, you know, family yes. member helped me get the job there and I was so blown away by mm-hmm. how children were coming to school and how they were so um, challenged in what I had assumed were basic academic foundations. And I was just, I was, I was done. 
And I remember coming home and telling you, I was just, I was like distraught, right? <laughs> like, I can't do this. I don't have any training. Who, who sends their baby out the house like this? And yeah. you said to me, and I always remember, you were like, you just have to reach one. Yeah. You just, you just got to reach one. Because yeah. you're not going to, and it's, and it's so, it, it's sad to even say that because I think people come into education or they also stay in education being so optimistic of changing the system and it just doesn't work mm-hmm. like that, like any other, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, sector of society. But you, you, you come in optimistic that people are going to do the right thing because these are other people's children. Yes. And they, and, and they don't. Um, and it's hard. Yes, and and it was. I soon understood with your aunt, your aunt Gwen that you just mentioned. Yes, she had. I, I'm not going to repeat what what she said. Yeah, I'll but, let her repeat that because I'll be interviewing yeah, her too. too. <laughs> uh, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why. Right. But when you do that every day, when it's your job to interact with lost souls. Or just people, because, I mean, you know, I have an extremely biased perspective, right? I know, um, yeah. it, It's, it's, I, I take issue, and not just, not from you, but just, you know, people wanting to say lost souls, because so many, I'm not making excuses, but so many realities of their, of their existence, or so many mm-hmm. realities of their reality are out of their control. I know, I know, and I know. It's, it's, you know, that's a whole different conversation, but it's, it's a system, there's systemic behaviors that prevent certain individuals from finding any sort of, from finding a modicum of success, right? This is very true. I mean, you need to walk in somebody's shoes before you can uh, really understand right. what it's right. like. Right. And so it's interesting now, you know, if we, we say... Jim Crow South, um, separate but equal, the best version of that, right? If there is a best, if there is a best version (laughs) and then attended an HBCU, um, Mm -hmm. continued through grad school, worked in corporate America and now retired, right? What did you say? 14 years? You're 14 years retired? Yeah, okay. uh, but 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 also had a, a much broader experience. I had an I've had the opportunity to go to Hong Kong, right? To to London, England. To I didn't go to Spain, but to here 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 are the things that you get sometimes by being in the right environment. Right. When uh, Warren was in his first in between his first and second year at the Wharton School, the University of Pennsylvania chartered six planes, three planes mm-hmm. uh, to take their students to Europe and back. And you had a choice of deplaning in England or France or Spain. Mm-hmm. And we deplaned in London and then we took the train yes. from London all the way around to Paris. Right. And we visited various cities. How, and you know how much it cost? Minimal. Four hundred dollars per person, right? And well, that's, that's when your father and I said, "Hell, we can't afford not to go." Right, 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 right. <laughs> but when you look back on all of the experiences that your journey has provided, 
mm-hmm. considering the very humble beginnings in, in the black yeah. level of, of Newport <laughs> News, Virginia. <laughs> really? And now you are back literally full circle. You're not in Newport yeah. News, but yeah. you're back in Virginia in Cape Charles and you work in the, in the community and you work in the schools because we have conversations about, you know, what's going on in the schools. Right. What do you think is missing? Considering your entire, like all these different experiences that you have and now you're back for, for lack of a better expression, you're back home, right? Yeah. Well, I have had some interesting experience. I've learned a lot. I've I've been a, a lot of different places and I've had many people that I have um, met for time mm-hmm. say to me, in fact, I just had a person say, this, say that to me last week. Um, you know, I remember when, and all I did. Okay, folks, sorry about that technical difficulties. Um, what we were discussing is after your very interesting journey thus far, Mm-hmm. And coming back home as a retired person um, and working in the community and working in the schools, what do you think is missing? What do I think is missing from my for life? The, no, for the kids. Because you're in the schools. Yeah. So it's like if you had a magic wand and you could mm-hmm. say these three things could could systemically or substantively change the options for these children, it would be this. One, it, it has to be staffed by people who care. Mm. Two, there's always that financial need. Right. And financial need, you mean as far as how the school is funded and the resources that are That's, available? Right. So mm-hmm. that you get the best of what they offer, that you get the various exposures that will expand you as a person. Right. Um, And one of the things that I noticed, particularly from the culture that I was raised in and and the interaction I have now in the schools, is that we need to have more experience, more input by the parents. Okay. The parents have to be involved. And and that's not just on the... uh, pre-K level, Mm -hmm. it's on all levels. Can I push back on that one? Sure. Uh, um, So on the parental, because first you said parental input, and and then you also use parental involvement. And the reason that I want to push back is because a lot of times, I'm not saying this is what you're saying, but a Mm -hmm. lot of times when there is that expectation from the school side or the district side, there's Mm -hmm. an there's an expectation of what that input and involvement should look like without the foundation to model or to to create the opportunities that best fit the environment you know it's like we want the parents it's almost like me saying well i want every parent to create a, a a homeschool schedule like i do and to have their son on this and to have them do that and have these expectations based on what we're able and willing and able to do when at the end of the day School as an entity is intimidating to a lot of people. You know well, what I mean? I do know. And I think that this epidemic has, 
has opened the eyes of a lot of parents. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and, um, but by, I'd like to give you an example. The right. um, elementary school here um, for many years had a white principal. Okay. He what retired. Uh, K through five? First, through, first oh, yeah, pre-K. Uh -huh. Through uh, six. Okay. Um, she was replaced when she um, retired by the assistant principal, a black woman. Mm -hmm. This is a poor, poor county. Right. It's agricultural. Right. It's ag fo focused. And there are a lot of, oh, I guess, uh, poor people here. Okay. Uh, the poverty rate is in excess of 20%. Right. So this this black principal came in. She's been in the school system in that school for a good while. Mm -hmm. She knows the boys and girls in that school right. by their name. Right. She knows their parents. They go to the same church. Right. So she she has a a much better relationship with these kids because of who she is. Right. That, that, in this case, and this, she has brought the school back up right. to what are those levels? Um, well, whatever the, the, the different data points that each state has to, to measure the performance of, of schools based on academics that, right. and that's discipline right. and behavior. They all have SMART goals, um, though they might be called different things in different states, but they have mm -hmm. specific um, measurable uh, time-based goals that they have to yes. meet each year that are often tied to funding. So there's and that they have, part. They are, they're at the <laughs> top down. They were, you have people who, it's not just here. Mm -hmm. You have folks who have, a, have the teaching job mm -hmm. because that's all they could get. And, you know, I understand that too. Right. But when you have a poor record of being able to retain good teachers, you know how that impacts the kids oh, and the right. So uh, it, that's why I think, first of all, it has to be people who care, right, and demonstrate that care um, in a very specific way. Because something that I actually I have never, um, well, I have yet to speak on in my um, conversations, but mm -hmm. the focus of my doctoral research was about yeah. care in the classroom and how that care specifically translates into academic success. And mm -hmm. so it's by, um, so it's good, um, not good, but it's interesting that I'm finding that my actual like database research also appears anecdotally in the conversations that I'm having with people. Like mm -hmm. we perform, we as humans, we perform better and better is a loaded word, but we perform better for people mm -hmm. or in situations where we know or feel that we are cared for and about. And it yeah. requires us to exhibit specific behaviors that, mm -hmm. that unfortunately some teachers just don't think or they just don't think they have to do, or they, they don't think it's necessary. Like there's so much value in standing at your classroom door when people are entering and saying hi. Yes. And looking, looking them in the eye and greeting them and asking random kid in third row, fourth column desk, hey, well, how was the weekend? Or, yeah. you know, like we, we, 
We spend so much time, and I have these same conversations with my staff, like, we spend so much time with each other in the educational space that, yes, there are academics that we're responsible for, but this is really the business of relationships. True. Very true. So I think that's across all industries. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it is. It is. So you're saying we need people that care. We have mm -hmm. to have really hard conversations about school funding. Mm -hmm. um, so that, and, and, and I think that just to piggyback on your decision to include that, those, those conversations about school funding need to be, um, they need to include like research-based information. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like it's not, we're not just randomly saying that the optimal uh, class size is 15 to 17 because we, we grab those numbers out the air. It's yeah. because there are pages and pages or files and files or gigabytes and gigabytes of data that says this is how you get the most out of the situation. So, um, and parental involved, and, and involvement, we just, we really have to, it's a partnership. It is. And, you know, it's, it's very sad when you go to a PTA meeting and there are like five or six parents. Right. Yeah. We, we but understanding that, you know, a lot of those kids are coming from single family, single parent homes. Right. They're, they're coming from broken homes. They're coming from very poor homes. They, you know, it's or even, but I want to push back on that because, you know, when, before I moved to California, I worked in a very wealthy district and yeah. We did not have, you know, characteristically high levels of parent involvement either at the high school level. You know, it, it's, there are assumptions that, oh, school will take care of that on both ends of the income spectrum. You know well, what I mean? You remember the high school that you went to? Yes, I do. And I, I thank the Lord for the mothers in that town. Right. Because they had the time to be involved with the school and they were involved and it yes, was the Blue Ribbon School. Yes. We had a very charmed uh, public education life. I mean, I, I think we, we all have the, the um, tendency to look back on mm -hmm. the past in, with, nostal you know, with, the, with nostalgic glasses, but man, South Orange yeah. Maplewood was, was a special, special place. It was, and, and it was because it was a partnership. Yeah. The parents, the teachers, everybody. But a partnership with people who had the experience mm -hmm. and the opportunity and the willingness okay. to maximize the quality of that relationship. Yeah, it was. I look back now, too. That was a wonderful place to oh, live man. and raise magical. your children. It was. I, I appreciate y'all doing that. Me, too. Big time. Yeah, you know, children turned out okay. Yeah, you know, something, <laughs> some, somewhere, right? <laughs> okay, dear mother, um, I want to, yes, you know. Yes, darling daughter, my favorite <laughs> child. Right, today. <laughs> Um, I just want to, I want to, I want to wrap this up by saying, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking time to chat today, um, about school. You, you know how busy I am. I know that retired life is something else, man, especially during a <laughs> pandemic, <laughs> which room do I go to? But, um, no, I really, I really do. Um, I, I appreciate the time, um, 
that you've taken today to mm-hmm. to talk. I want to say that I I appreciate um, the effort that you put in to get my brother and I into such a loving and an encouraging and and like varied you know public school education because yeah. you know it had a big impact on who we are you know yes and yes. uh we were exposed to the arts we were exposed to you know woodshop <laughs> we, we we went to you know in 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 my in my elementary school we went to the metropolitan opera house every single year yeah. and um you know i didn't know it then that it would have such an impact on it but it really has laid the foundation for for what i want for every public school that i'm in yes and yes. I want the opportunities for kids to be like, oh, oh God, I have to go to the opera again. <laughs> yes, you do. Because here's, you know what? There's value in figuring out what you don't like, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But we, we can't do that. We can't do any of those things if we don't have people who care. If we Before don't... you go, I just want to say that oh. one of the things that I, I did experience when I was in high school what? was Hampton University, then Hampton Institute being yes. nearby. Yes. Yes. And the first ballet that I saw. Oh. And so it's great when you're in an environment where you have access to those things. Yeah. And it's the only way you can define yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, you, we're lucky, some of us, to have had the opportunities that we had right. uh, to help develop ourselves and to help be, de- help be developed by those people around us who did right. the best that they could with what they had. And speaking of which, I think a wonderful anecdote to end with would be good old Ethereal Lednam Burgess <laughs> and what he said to his coworker oh, when God. his coworker asked why Ethereal Grandpa was sending his daughter to college. And he said, I can't use that language. Okay, well, you can believe, you can, you know, allude to it. He said, because I don't want her working for none of you MFs. That's right. And on that note, (laughs) (laughs) education is the key. So again, mom, thank you so much. Um, I know you, you, you got to go help um, with the dinner prep. (laughs) Yes, I do. My my part is eating. Your part (laughs) is eating. (laughs) Okay. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) All right, sweetheart. Bye. Be best. Always. (laughs) okay so we're back um that was my conversation with my mom about her experience in public education or with public education growing up in the Jim Crow South uh I hope that you found it interesting and maybe it resonated with you or some experiences that uh, you've had with family members or maybe even yourself depending on where you uh have attended school But uh, that brings us to the end of episode five, and I want to thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate um, the time that you share with me to uh, hear these conversations. And if you like what you're hearing, it would be great if you could share an episode or tell a friend, leave a review. Any of those would just be great in helping to build the community as we uh, talk about this thing called school. Uh, I like to end with a quote, and this one comes from Nelson Mandela, and 
of the many great things that he has said over the years, or he said over the years, uh, one of which that, that resonates with me is that education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Y'all be well. <laughs>